Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. I hope all is well with you today. It is Sunday morning, and I'm drinking a hot cup of Bottom Gun Coffee from my friends at the Bottom Gun Coffee Company as I record this episode. I have another great show lined up for you, but before we get started, I just wanted to mention my latest leadership book, All in the Same Boat. You know, I know many of you are busy, and it's hard to find time to sit and actually read a book, so that's why I produced an audible version of the book. You can head on over to Audible and search the title, All in the Same Boat, and you can uh, purchase the book, or if you have a subscription, you can buy the book with your monthly credit. You know, it's a great way to learn while you commute, maybe you cut the yard, work out, whatever, Uh, but it's a way to learn while you're doing these things, so I encourage you to check it out. Now, if you're more of a Kindle or a paperback kind of reader, you can find the book on Amazon where you can see a summary of the book and read through all of the five-star reviews. You can also purchase a signed copy of the book if that's what you want. Uh, we have that available, too, at allinthesameboatbook.com, where if you enter the discount code DEEP at checkout, that's DEEP, D-E-E-P, you can get 20% off the Amazon price. And, of course, uh, shipping is free. Domestic shipping is always free on our website. Now, if you're looking to support what I do on the show Purchase one of my books or visit one of my sponsors, bottomguncoffee.com or eyeofthewatch.com, and both use the discount code DEEP at checkout. Well, that's it. Today, my guest is Stephen Cardinale. Stephen founded, led, and sold one of the largest healthcare software companies in the U.S., and he tells us how he disrupted an industry in a new book called Synaptic Alchemy, which is simply brilliant. It's a great book. In this episode, Stephen tells us how we can disrupt our industry as well. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Stephen Cardinale. Stephen is a software entrepreneur and executive. He has more than 20 years of business and technology experience, including founding and leading SID Management, one of the largest healthcare cost control software companies in the U.S. He is the author of a new book called Synaptic Alchemy, which provides a new way to look at innovation, entrepreneurship, and business success. So, Stephen, welcome to the show. Well, I'm so excited to be here. So excited to talk to you. So excited to talk to your listeners and talk about entrepreneurship and kind of get in the weeds and dig in deep. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on the show, especially because of your history and your background. And 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 I'm interested to hear how that kind of uh, kind of comes into your book. But tell us about SID Management. This is a company that you founded, you built up from nothing into this yep. very successful software company. And then you ended up uh, successfully exiting the business. So tell us a little bit about that that entrepreneurial entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, um, each one of the stages from founding to running and scaling to the M and A and exiting process um, had its own set of learnings, its own set of instructions that I really got to 
understand really deeply, which is fantastic. And, you know, at the beginning, at the founding, so we didn't raise any venture capital. So we were profitable from day one, but Mm. by design. So we went out and found a customer, figured out what that customer needed, and then sold them that as a really as a service, as a manual service at the beginning, and then started to automate it as time went on. So that way we wouldn't have to go out and raise money. So part of that is really beginning to, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, we build things that we think is really cool, but we don't pay attention to what the customer needs. So you need to look through the eyes of the customer. And I actually say this consistently, it's never about you. It's never been about you. It's never going to be about you. Uh, It's either about your kids, your spouse, or your customers, right? Or your investors. Um, And that, because we had to be profitable from day one, it forced us to pay attention to the customer. So that founding of, you know, what the heck does the customer need? And boy, did we go through a bunch of different, we thought we knew what the customer needed. The customer thought they told us what they needed, but actually getting on the ground and sitting next to the customer on a day-to-day basis and watching what they do was very instructive. Um, And that was one of the big takeaways that we had there. So we actually got a chance. We actually asked our customer, we built this relationship. We said, hey, can we come in and sit down and watch what your team does on a daily basis? So that was the founding of SID was pay attention to our customer. And that was really unique for me because, you know, sometimes as entrepreneurs, we can be a little arrogant and we think we know how to solve the problems of the world, right? And then the, the growing of the company really was an exercise in HR and leadership development and bringing on the right people and putting them on the bus in the right seat as uh, Jim Collins would say. And then, of course, being able to scale it and uh, and create software. So we would eat our own lunch. We would do something manually, then write software so we wouldn't have to do it manually anymore. Of course, at that point, you start to reduce your prices because you want to acquire market share, but your profit margins start to shrink. So we had to have the um, existential discussion with ourselves, which was, we're going to automate this and then drop our price by 90%. Well, we dropped our costs by 99%. So of course we're going to drop our price, but then our margins are going to, I mean, our um, revenue is going to go down. So it was, the growth was interesting in terms of automate everything you can and then identify leaders and identify management teams that can really grow with you. And we found some really unique ways of doing that. And then the exit, well, the exit was a whole nother story. The <laughs> exit was, you know, how do you sell your baby? Is it the right time to sell? And of course, you want to have you want to sell when you're the prettiest, when you're at the top of the market. Um, but of course, you want to stay around because you're at the top, and of course, you don't know when the top when the top is. So, um, and it took a good year to sell from the time we decided this is we're ripe for a another company to come and, and pick us up, and we can talk about the reasons that I sold um, to the time that we identified the perfect partnership, went through all the due diligence, went through the financing, um, and actually closed. It was a year, and that's basically what we focused on. We had teams focusing on running the business, but me and my management team focused on selling the business, which was really mm-hmm. strange because I wasn't focused on growing the business anymore. That's Does that give you a good idea as to kind of what that whole thing was about? <laughs> yeah, no, it's incredible. So in, in, what was the time span from the time you guys got started till you when you sold the business? How long was that process? 12 years. 12 years. And you, uh-huh. you know, you, you went through the whole journey, the entrepreneurial journey in that 12 years, you went from, you know, starting up with very like shoestring, you know, yep. 20, 2,500 bucks, yeah, 2,500 bucks. <laughs> you, you, you sold, you know, you sold the idea to a customer, you, you, yep. you had to bring on more people. So you did the hiring. What was the, yep. uh, how many people did you have at the height of the company? 
Well, so if you can, so we actually arbitrage, we did labor arbitrage. So we had a core team of about 50 or so people. And then yeah. our suppliers were physicians. They were supplying us medical expertise. And that's what we kind of automated. And we had 700 physicians at the end wow. who were part of our company. So we had, so one of the things that we identified very quickly was we have to get really good at recruiting. We need to build a recruiting competency, um, which I think most companies don't have. They don't go, well, how do I hire? Sometimes you just get invasion of the body snatchers. You just hire anybody for this one position. And we had right. to get really good, really fast and processize our hiring because you got to, you have to put people in this queue, right. To be, to provide your labor for you. So we right. had a whole team that would processize and become really, became really good at recruiting. It's one of the things that actually we got bought for was, oh, wow, you guys really understand recruiting and you have a process around it and you have manuals around it and software around it. And that was one of the, one of the value adds that the guys who bought us really were appreciative of. Well, it seems like that's a downfall of most uh, companies, uh, most entrepreneurs, they start off, maybe they're a solo entrepreneur or they have a partner or they're three people and they get going. And then the, the challenge is, is growing, uh, scaling, yeah. uh, hiring teams, letting go, right? The the yeah. founders have to let go a bit. And um, yeah. so that seems to be the downfall where, um, you know, the, the, the growth of the business is sometimes limited by by the growth of the, the leader. The, the leader tries to do it all. And I think it seems yeah. like early on you learned that you had to bring team, you had to bring people on and you had to uh, train them and make sure you had the right people on the bus and put them in the right roles. And yeah. And part of that was, so I follow stoicism. So if you're, uh, your listeners or viewers uh, follow the daily stoic, if you don't, it's yes. from Ryan Holiday, they absolutely should. It's free. Um, and one of the principles is, is that ego is the enemy. So yeah. when we started the company, we started it with the idea in mind that we were going to build something where we were replaceable. Um, and that's hard as an entrepreneur because you don't want to be replaceable. You want to be the guy. Right. The problem is, is that you can't scale if you're the guy. Then you become the cult, a cult of personality. Um, and you have to be able to go, I'm building a system that will outlive me, which is what legacy is all about, right? We want to be able to build something that outgrows us. But then at the same time, our egos get in the way. And yes. then if you want to build something where we're just the center of attention, it's like, so being able to say, I'm going to build something that will outgrow me. And that's the thing that adds value to both my customers and my life took a while and the other let go of ego. And I find myself, whenever I use the word I, like I just did, <laughs> um, <laughs> that means my ego's involved. And um, you know, listening for the pronoun, I think I, I know what the answer is. I know what my customers need. And I know how to do this. Yeah, your ego's fully engaged and you're guaranteed to fall somewhere very quickly. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's funny because I, 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 you know, I've had a couple of guests on, we talked about vulnerability as a leader and vulnerability isn't being weak. It's It's about being, uh, open to ideas that are not your own and and, yes. and be sitting, sitting back and saying, what do you guys think? I, you know, and, and I, and I know as a young leader, I, I ran my first plant at 32 years old, first manufacturing plant. And I thought I had to have all the answers yeah. and I thought I had to have the big ego. I had to be that charismatic leader with, with all the answers. And what I've learned now over, you know, 30 years of running businesses is that, um, it's best that I have the right questions and be willing 100%. to listen. And it's not about necessarily having the right answers, but obviously listening, but then as leader, putting the rudder in the water, making that decision to go in a certain direction, that's really, really critical. But yeah. it's um, but it's not about you. And I think that you, you've identified that right away. It's not about you. It's about the customer. It's about your employees. No. It's about the market. It's about 
uh, you know, cash flow, yeah. <laughs> right? As, a, especially as, a, as an entrepreneur, it's always about cash flow. So, And I'm so glad you said that you had to have better, you know, uh, the right questions because so there were about 30, I don't remember if it was 32 or 37, essentially sound bites that we used to run the company. So I didn't have to micromanage everything. And one of them was a better question is more important than the right answer because mm. usually the right answer to the wrong question. So my team would know for sure if they came and they said, I've got the answer, I would say, great, what's the question? And they would go, oh, crap, I don't know what the question is. <laughs> yeah. I'd say, go, go ask a better question. Stop coming up with answers. Go ask a better question. Because yeah. if you ask better questions, you eventually get to something that's atomic, a truth, a core, right? And you know, sometimes for us, because we're a regulated industry, my sales guys would come in and go, I've got the answer. I know how to close this customer. And I go, great, Did you go talk to the legal department. Well, no. Why? Well, because it's a regulated industry, right? We're in healthcare. Legal is going to have to sign off on this. Go ask legal how we're going to die today. And that was one of the questions that we would always ask. How are we going to die today? Where are the landmines? How are we going to lose this yeah. deal? Yeah. Better like questions. Yeah. yeah. Better questions. I like that. Yeah. So let's talk about the book. So Synaptic sure. Alchemy. So mm -hmm. that'll stop you in your tracks. So <laughs> well, first of all, the title of the book is interesting. So, so why, why the name of the book before we even dive into the book? Cause it's, it's, yeah. um, it's not, it's not so much a tongue twister, but it's a, it's a mental thing that you're like, okay, what does that actually mean? Yeah, that's a great question. So synaptic alchemy, the art and science, cause it is both an art and a science of turning ideas into gold. Okay. So the synaptic part is the idea so it's between ah, our ears gotcha. as entrepreneurs um and you know manufacturing is a little different because you're actually physically making products but certainly for tech entrepreneurs information entrepreneurs everything we make comes between our ears we're not actually building products we're taking ideas and knowledge and systems and building those and adding value so it's between my ears that's the synaptic part, and the alchemy part is the lead that gets turned into gold. So the lead is just our silly ideas, our silly concepts in our head. That those are pretty lead-like. They're not that have a lot of value. And then you got to figure out how to mold them through a crucible and turn them into to gold. And so, you know, the idea is that this is from an entrepreneur who's done it before and a guy who's got the educational background, the academic background, the academic underpinnings to support it. So it's not just ideas in my head. This is all well understood management theories from guys like. Jim Collins or, you know, Jeffrey Moore, um, Clayton Christensen, and I consume a ton of books, uh, whether it's on audio and a ton of podcasts like yours. So I think as an entrepreneur, if you're not consuming what other people are producing in terms of thoughts, um, you're at a disadvantage. And so yeah. I was thinking about how do I, you know, extract what I got to do successfully in some fun way? And alchemy came to the surface of, it's almost like a Dungeons and Dragons kind of a thing, right? It's kind of this fun, you know, sorcerer's idea. Uh, and so I started playing around with it and started looking it up. And alchemy can be, you know, it's kind of Merlin and it can be anywhere from like 12 steps to 50 steps. It's super complicated. And I decided, and as I was looking at it, I was realizing that I can distill this down to three easy to understand hard to do, but easy to understand lessons that all successful ideas, and I mean all successful ideas, whether it's Barack Obama's presidential run or the rise of Amazon have gone through, whether they realize it and can name it or not. And I was like, okay, that's now we're at core. Now we're asking better questions. We are at mm. core truth. And there are just three essential principles, which I call the, alch uh, the alchemical transformation. So before we dive into that a little bit, so what was the um, 
why did you feel like you wanted to write this book? What was the, who's the audience uh, and what, what was the, what was the purpose behind getting this all on paper? Um, that's a great question. Um, it's, it's a really good question. Uh, it kind of needed to come out of me, it was sitting inside me and it was bubbling yeah. up and I just needed to express it. I love seeing entrepreneurs win. I really do. Um, and I learned some secret sauces that when I didn't use them, I could see in my business where the mistakes were happening. So there were things that I identified just by having to kind of grow up and build a business and be successful every day. You know, there's, you know, like I said, we didn't have venture capital, so we weren't, didn't have the opportunity to just spend investor money. We had to make a profit month in and month out. The rent had to get paid. So when we made a mistake, we were accountable for it. We didn't have another million dollars in the bank that we could, you know, go, well, let's try it again. No, we had to do it. And so I learned a lot. And I want to give that back to the community of mm. what did you learn that someone else could take and run with? Right. And that's that's the reason that the book got written is one, I just need to get it out of me. <laughs> and two, I wanted to help other entrepreneurs. And if somebody can get one nugget of gold out of this, great, then it's worth the price of admission. Literally a nugget of gold, right? Literally a nugget of gold. the idea to gold. <laughs> so let's talk about these uh, the three parts of the the alchemical transformation process that all businesses go through. So what are what are some of those uh, ideas? So um, it's so it's a, it's a little unintuitive. Um, okay. So there are three steps that all, and I'm going to use Amazon because it's something we all can relate to, mm-hmm. and but you can apply it to anything. Um, and what's interesting interesting is it's easy to see this. Ex facto, after the fact, Always. a priori, before th- before this happens, it's hard to see this stuff. And if you're visionary, if you're a good entrepreneur, and you can see this before your competitors can or your market can, you'll win. Hard to do, right? Easy to understand, but hard to do. So the th- there are three steps. The first step is called the blackening or destroy something. And you have to destroy an existing idea. And that's really kind of different to think about in terms of an entrepreneur. You go, I'm going to go create a company. I'm going to go create a product. And then, you know, I come along and say, no, the first thing you have to do is destroy something. And if you think about Amazon, Amazon destroyed the idea that you have to go to a bookstore to buy books. Yeah. That's the only thing that Jeff Bezos destroyed at the beginning. He didn't destroy, make create e-commerce, you know, at the beginning. He didn't change the way that we're going to do publishing. He did that later with the Kindle, right? But at the beginning, it was, you know, I used to, you know, I'm a computer geek, right? Even though that's not where my education is, but I loved computers since I was a kid. And when I wanted to go and get this cool book, I lived in Los Angeles. There was one store that I could go to that wasn't Barnes and Nobles that had these cool books. It was called OpAmp. And it was this super techie bookstore. And I had to drive to the special area and hope they had the book there. And then Amazon came around and suddenly I no longer had to go to this bookstore. He mm. destroyed the idea that I had to go to a bookstore. I'm like, good job, Jeff. That's that's the thing. For uh, Sid, we destroyed the idea that a doctor has to do all of the work to make a good medical decision. Mm. And we automated about 20%, sorry, about 80% of it. And the doctor's expertise, his magic, really was really useful in the last 20%. But the first 80% was all admin. But most doctors are like, no, no, don't touch my stuff. I'm like, well, but the nurse is doing this or the computer is doing that. And I'll give you a real clear example. They would, um, the doctors would normally fax their reports to customers. And they would have to put, they would write them up. Some uh, nurse would, uh, or a, a transcription service would transcribe it. They would print it out. They would fax it. And all we did was automate the faxing. That's it. Mm-hmm. We suddenly cut what took an hour down to what took 40 minutes. We, t- we cut a third of the time out. 
which meant we cut a third of the costs out, right? All we had to do was destroy the idea that doctors have to do everything. All Jeff Bezos had to do was destroy the idea that you buy books at a physical bookstore. So my challenge to your uh, listeners is what idea, what entrenched way of doing things that no longer serves your customer well, can you destroy? We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. One ping only, please. As I thought, John Rennie's new book, All in the Same Boat, is right over there. It's at allinthesameboatbook.com. Your orders are to get there now. And remember, be careful what you shoot at. Most things in here don't react too well to bullets. Is your boss a jerk? I understand you're in the hospital, but I'm going to need you to come in today. Do they lack any ability to actually lead people? Oh, it's fine. I'll I'll just find somebody else that can do it, okay? John is offering a new service just for you. For only $10, he will anonymously mail a copy of his best-selling book, I Have the Watch, to your boss with a personal note. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and enter the discount code BOSS at checkout. Deep Leadership is brought to you by the Bottom Gun Coffee Company. Bottom Gun is owned and operated by U.S. submarine veterans, and no one knows coffee better than the men and women who serve long hours keeping watch under the sea. Bottom Gun Coffee Company has a variety of coffee blends designed to keep you moving. From Ahab's Revenge, extremely strong coffee, to their morning blend, Bottom Gun purchases only premium, certified, organic coffee beans from all over the world to create the finest tasting coffee you will ever experience. Bottom Gun is offering a discount to the listeners of Deep Leadership. Go to BottomGunCoffee.com and enter the discount code DEEP at checkout. Bottom Gun Coffee, the taste that's qualified. Yeah, it's interesting because we founded our company on that very principle of Everybody in the industry makes to order. So you put an order in and, um, and then you wait, right? Eight, yeah. eight to 12 weeks. So we make to stock and we build our products modular so we can customize it at, late, at, the, la- at the last stage so we can ship our product in 24 hours. So we can do an Amazon type of thing for our customers and it's never been done before. And so people are like, wait, I can get a product in 24 hours versus <laughs> eight to 12 weeks. We're like, yeah, well, how do you do that? Well, we, 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 we burned or we destroyed the idea that you have to make the order, that you have to yeah. wait to get the order before you start actually doing the whole manufacturing process. So we, yeah. so we pre-stage stuff. So interesting. I didn't know that we destroyed something, but, but <laughs> right. See, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's and, you pro- and you probably destroyed several things. Like to me, when I hear your story, I hear you also destroyed the idea that customization has to come at the beginning of the process. Hundred percent. Right? And you said, no, we can build modularly and then customize 24 hours before we have to ship. And right. suddenly you move the customization, oh, I got to do eight to 12 weeks from the beginning to the end. And I'll bet you your competitors couldn't do that if they tried because their processes are not even set up that way, right? No, the product isn't designed that way. So we designed yeah. our product from the ground up to be modular. And that's, yep. that's, our, that's, our, you know, that's our success you know, vector, if you will. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, you, and you can do that along everything in your business. So you can do it in sales. You can do it in finance. You can do it in product development. You can do it in ops. So for example, in sales, most sales companies have quotas. 
we destroyed the idea that our, our sales guys have to have quotas because I'm like, well, if I told you to sell $5 million and you could have, you would already have. So we would hire sales guys and they would say, what's my quota? I would say, you don't have a quota. You have to, you have to talk to hundred customers a week, you know, but we believe yeah. in the process, not the outcome. Cause otherwise you'd be pressing the button that says close deal, close deal, close deal. So we, you can, you can do these alchemical transformations at every vertical in your business. Interesting. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yep. It's hard because you have to suddenly do things very differently. Like you're doing stuff completely differently than the entire industry, right? We are. Yeah. Yeah. So the second piece of that is um, Albedo, which is called the whitening. And that is to create something. Okay. And that means you have to create something that specifically fills the gap of what you destroyed. So Bezos said, okay, I'm going to destroy the idea that people have to go to the bookstore to buy books. And now I'm going to create a replacement, which is you go on this weird thing called the web. And if you think about when Amazon was around, yeah. was, you know, payments were weird, right? We're all worried about people stealing our credit cards, right? Um, and if you and if you look at the literature on brainstorming, which is usually where kind of the creation process is, and you type in into Google why brainstorming sucks, you'll get a ton of uh, data from very reputable companies, Boston Consulting Group, McKinsey. Uh, one of the problems is, is that you'll see like, so this is part of the innovation culture. You'll see big companies or banks or somebody will come in and go, okay, we have to have more innovation because we need more products. And they throw a bunch of people into a room and they say, okay, innovate, think creatively, <laughs> right? Um, but they don't have a context. So mm -hmm. the guys come out of the room and say, okay, we're going to put all our banks on wings. And you're like, what are you talking about? You're, so the creative brainstorming goes all over the place. However, and you'll find this in the book. So on each one of these steps, you'll find the processes that support each one of these steps, right? So each step is a big idea. And the book goes through here are certain things. So for example, in the creative process, the whitening, you need to be able to go, I'm going to go in and we're going to create something, but it absolutely positively has to fill the void of what we destroyed. So if you get went to the room with Amazon and you, know, you destroyed the idea of we're going to buy books in a physical bookstore, you wouldn't start talking about how to destroy the publishing industry. Mm. You would only come up with ideas about how to sell books, not in a bookstore. And the mm. same thing for us, right? We talked about how to disintermediate doctors. We didn't talk about how to, you know, come up with a medical, a better medical process. We didn't talk about how, you know, where are nurses in it. We only talked about what are the administrative functions that doctors do that they shouldn't do. And we tried to solve and come up with ideas for that. Again, it's easy to understand, hard as heck to do. <laughs> yeah, interesting. So yeah, if I think about you know, as you're talking, I was just thinking like uh, Netflix is a great example of, of changing the industry from the blockbuster, you know, who dominated the, the game to, yep. to then you can get your videos in the mail. That was that's yeah. that was their white whitening. It was yeah. you know, getting and eventually, of course, it was, you know, online and, you know, right. pay-per-view pay or you know, whatever streaming, pay, uh, right, yeah. streaming. So but it was interesting. But but their first whitening was I'm going to mail you the movie and yep. you can mail it back when you feel like it, you yeah. know, which is, you know, eliminating late fees and all the things that were yeah. aggregating. Yeah. Right. And if you think about Blockbuster, you know, it, it, to me, it's always interesting to look at these giant fa failures. You know, you look at Blockbuster, or you look at Kodak and the digital camera um, and you kind of go, well, how'd you guys miss that? Well, it's easy to understand it, you know, after the fact, but before the fact, Blockbuster was said, People want to come into a store and peruse and browse videos. Right. And Netflix right. said, no, they don't. Right? They're happy to give up the ability to go in and peruse 
get the DVD that their friend recommended in the first place and avoid late fees. Done. That's a win. That's the entire industry changed on a dime. The universe rotated when they came up with that model, right? It's so easy to see after the fact, <laughs> but in the middle of it, you know, I remember like when I was going through, uh, finished up my MBA, we were studying Blockbuster and what a success story it was, you know, mm-hmm. and doing reports on it and what, what their future would look like. And this yeah. was before Netflix just made them obsolete. I mean, made yeah. them right. d- disappear overnight almost. So that's why I say the alchemical transformation, it occurs whether people know about it or not. And when it does in a large um really visible industry, we see it. And those are the guys that win. That be, Those become the royalty of business, right? You know, we talk about the Netflix and the Microsoft and, you know, and, and you can look back at it, but then you can also dial it way down to your individual solopreneurship or your individual company, because you can win actually some very significant wins without having to change the entire industry. You can just change a little teeny tiny portion of it yeah. with these, these, you know, these three steps and suddenly become better, faster and cheaper than your competitor. Mm. Right. And your competitor, because they're not thinking like this, they won't be able to catch up. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's one of the things that I really wanted to bring out. And again, in the book, you'll actually see here, how do I white, how do I decide what's a good thing? You'll see the steps that we are required to do this in the book, right? Okay. Um, and that's one of the things that I wanted to do. As, as I was thinking through this, I said, okay, well, how do I do that, right? How do I, you know, do I just think about destroying something or is there a process? Well, there's a process to it, right? Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What's the what's the third element? And the third one is the most, is interesting. It's not like the other, it's the reddening, it's the breathing into life, it's scale something. So the okay. language I use behind uh, the third piece, which is called rubedo, and each one of these have its own kind of funky name. Um, the third piece is build it, uh, create something so simple that anyone can use it and so accessible that everyone can get it. And that's mm-hmm. the scale. And if you're not doing that, you are shooting yourself in the foot. So, for example, we talk about friction a lot. So uh, in our industry, uh, we had to build things that were, were easy enough that everybody could get access to. And we're in a regulated industry. So we spent a ton of time trying to reduce governmental friction. Mm. So we would go to our customers and we would say, hey, what do you have to do for the government? Oh, every quarter you have to produce these 300 page reports, which are really, oh, they're a pain to produce. And you, and you can't screw up. They have to, the I's have to be dotted. The T's have to be crossed because you have to submit them to the regulatory agencies. Don't worry, customer. We're collecting the data. We'll produce the reports for you. We will hand them to you. Or we'll actually turn them in for you. And then we'll talk to Lloyd's of London and we'll get the insurance policy that if we screw up and there's a fine, we pay the fine. So we focused intently on reducing the friction so we could scale as quick as possible, mm. right? Amazon's buy now button reduces friction. I don't have to click yeah. to put it in my cart. I don't have to, right? So it's this mindset. So friction is just one component of, of scaling. Um, and there's a ton of things of scaling. So it's interesting. The first two are really mind games. You go, what do I destroy? What do I create in this place? And the third one's kind of an operational piece, which is how do I scale, right? How do and scaling a lot of times means you have to eat your own lunch. You know, mm-hmm. you might be making something in one area and you go, yeah, but if we change three processes and automated two, we could scale 10 times faster, but we might have to cut our fees by 50%. And it's a thought process, but this is the it's the circulatory system of business. How do I scale? How do I make it bigger? How do I make everyone accessible to this? And I'll give you a real clear story. We were doing some some work 
And we figured out a way to automate almost 100% of this specific task. And we were going to drop our revenue by 50%. Going to increase our margins by 90% because it was all automated, right? But it was very hard to go, don't buy from us, customer. Don't buy this product. We've got this other product. I know I, haven't, I might not be able to hire as many people because it's all automated, but I can scale and I can push it down from a senior level person that needs to do this at your company to a junior level person. Mm. And from a junior level person to an entry level person. Mm. So now an entry level person, all your entry level people can use our software instead of just senior level people. I got to train and I got to onboard. It's very complicated. It really was an exercise and keep it simple, keep it simple, keep it simple, push it down so that way everyone can get access to it. It's hard to do. It's really interesting you say that because I think you know we were talking earlier about how like a lot of times growth is limited by uh, the founder, right? It's mm-hmm. the founder has had doesn't let go of they they think that I'm the only one that can you know vet a product or vet a yeah. customer, and so they become the um, the bottleneck right in mm-hmm. the organization. <clears throat> and what you're saying is that no, let's make let's make the decision points so easy to do that we can train up the entire workforce to do it so yeah. that it's not it doesn't take a specialist to um to make the decisions you can actually have the decisions made at a lower level in the organization so you can scale quicker and you can bring more people on you can train them up show them how to, how the process works that's really interesting because i think it's hard to do like you mentioned because uh, a lot of times what your expertise as an entrepreneur, you start a business because you're an expert at something. And what you're saying is that that's, you got to let go of that expertise and you've got to systemize it and you got to put it down to the lowest levels. And that's, again, as we talked about earlier, that's an ego thing, right? That uh, yeah. you have to let go a little bit. And hundred yep, uh, percent. And you have to build systems then that can take your competency and your intelligence and spread it out. And so then, you know, it be, very much becomes you know, you were a great violinist and you became the first chair violinist in the orchestra, but you're moving from first chair violin to conductor. And your job as conductor is to make every, not just the violins, but to make every instrument play more beautifully, more efficiently, louder, cleaner. And you don't play, you don't make a sound, you don't make a note. Yeah. Right. And it's hard to move from, I was the best you know, trumpeter in the group to Shh, be quiet, just make everybody else good. Hard yeah. to do. Well, I would say this is the biggest challenge with leadership in the corporate world. I spent 22 years in corporations, and what I learned were people were promoted because they were a great individual contributor. They were they were the best engineer. They became the engineering manager. They were the best QA technician. They became the QA manager. But then they went back to the comfort zone of doing what they were comfortable with, which was being a doer and not a leader. Like you said, you're yeah. you're no longer playing the instrument. You're now your role has shifted completely to the conductor, right? You have to lead the orchestra, not play your instrument. And some people have a hard time leaving their instrument. Um, yeah, 100%. And, and, that's great. That's a great language. You have, yeah, you have going, to lead your instrument. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I like that. And, and I think, and again, you know, in the book, you'll find actual steps that you can go through to actually accomplish how do you scale. And like the one I gave that was easy was, you know, are you reducing friction? Are you increasing it? Right. So we would have brainstorming sessions uh, on friction. And there's a bunch of other, you know, real specific techniques on how do you scale. But I think as an entrepreneur, I think you're right. Sometimes you have to start because you're an expert, because you're playing the best, you're the best musician for this instrument. But your mindset has to be very quickly to, I'm going to build an entire orchestra around this. And I'm going to move from this. If you if your mindset stays fixed in the I'm going to be the best, you know, first chair violinist, then you won't grow your company or your project or your team. 
right? If you let go and go, I'm going to build the most beautiful orchestra, the most beautiful project, the most beautiful team, or, you know, the most beautiful P&L, whatever it happens to be, then your mindset is becoming a growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset. And Mm -hmm. you'll be able to grow. And at that point, you'll be able to leave a legacy. You'll be able to, I mean, people will see the beauty in what you create, which is not just them clapping because you gave a great performance. It was the the orchestra you've created. So I think it's okay to be a really good musician at the beginning, but your mindset has to be, I'm going to become a conductor very quickly, as soon as I can. Wow, that's that that is really a great nugget right there. I think uh, especially for the listeners of this podcast because we're you know, we're always talking about leadership and how do we how do we grow and how do we become better leaders? And I think you've just touched on a really really important point is you have to make that shift into I'm going to create a beautiful orchestra, yeah. which means, you know, leading people, you know, and and motivating them properly and and directing yeah. them properly and that's a whole shift in mindset from playing playing an instrument. So, that's right. really that's really powerful. Um, well, listen, I, I didn't even get close to all the questions I wanted to talk to you about, but this has been a really fascinating, um, discussion and there's so much more in this book that we didn't even get to. Um, but can you talk, talk, tell us how uh, people can find out more about, about you and the book and, um, you know, how to get in contact with you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty easy. You can find the book on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, basically anywhere you go and buy books, you can find that available there. You can get a hold of me. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. So uh, Synaptic Alchemy is not really on LinkedIn. I just do me. So just go search for me, Stephen Cardinelli on LinkedIn. You'll find me. And then you can always go to www.synapticalchemy.com or the Facebook group, which would be facebook.com slash Synaptic Alchemy. Um, and you know, if you just type Synaptic Alchemy into the internet, you'll pretty much find us pretty quickly. I would imagine you're the only one with that name. <laughs> I think I am. Yes. It's a good name. <laughs> well, this has been really good, Stephen. So the book is, and I really encourage you guys to pick it up. It's Synaptic Alchemy. And uh, so I really appreciate you being here and sharing. This has been fantastic. So uh, thank you for coming on the show. Great. I appreciate it. It was wonderful. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Hey, what's happening out there, everybody? This is Lawrence Ross, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about my podcast, The Lawrence Ross Show. Egomaniac. It's a two-hour weekly exploration into my mind. I also do sketches, celebrity impersonations. You're out of order! And I also do song parodies. Not too shabby for a blind guy. Not only are you visually impaired, but you are geographically impaired. New episodes are released every Friday. Check it out on your favorite podcasting platform, or listen to it here on Society 13 on Electrocast. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's no, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big home. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid.